Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The podcast you're about to hear is true. The names have not been changed to protect the innocent, the guilty, or anyone else. If you're interested in the same type of discussion related to organized crime that you hear in the traditional media, stop listening now. If you're interested in thinking differently or learning something, turn up the volume on your computer, smartphone, or mobile device. This is The Racket Report. Here's Frank Morano. Welcome to The Racket Report, the podcast dedicated to exploring the world of La Cosa Nostra. We're going to do something a little bit different today, and I hope you're going to enjoy it. I think it's certainly going to be very interesting. Last week, I received an SMS text message from Angel Gotti. Angel Gotti has been a guest on this podcast. She is the eldest child of John Gotti, Senior, the Dapper Don, the Teflon Don. Angel is his oldest child. A lot of people know about his son, John Gotti Jr. Uh, a lot of people know about his daughter, Victoria Gotti, because of her work as a journalist, a writer, and a reality show star. But a lot of people don't know as much about Angel. And she reached out to me and she said, Frank, where is the interview that you did with my mother? And sure enough, I did do an interview with Victoria Gotti Sr. about uh, five years ago, 2018. And it was at a different radio station. I was at AM 970 The Answer in New York at the time. And when I left, they took down, bastards that they are, all of my podcasts, including the interview that I did with Victoria Gotti Sr. Now, I'll give you the circumstances of that interview and then tell you a little bit about my relationship with Victoria before I let you hear precisely what she had to say. But what occurred at the time was I was doing Sunday mornings. I was doing a radio show Sunday mornings, 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. And then um, 8, uh, yeah, no, 4 a.m. to 7.30 and then 8 to 8.30. I mean, you talk about a crazy schedule. They had me break for a half hour for some paid religious programming. Can't imagine why that station uh, never became the behemoth that WABC is, but that's neither here nor there. I, I have no bitterness towards them. Uh, that just always stuck in my craw, that half-hour break for a radio show. So what we did was Mrs. Gotti called in at 8 o'clock to do an interview with me, and then we did another 10 minutes or so, that was exclusive just in podcast form. Well, none of that stuff is posted on the Internet anywhere. So Angel asked me to find this, and I found it. I located it in my archives, and that's what you're going to hear. Now, Victoria Gotti Sr., who, again, is the widow of probably the most famous gangster over the course of the last 50 years. She does very few interviews. She's always done very few interviews. She's really kind of a private person. She let her art speak for her. She was an artist, a very good artist. I have a Victoria Gotti Sr. original hanging in my home, but she's a terrific artist, and that was really the way that she spoke to the public. She had very little interest in doing press conferences or being a public person. She wanted a very 
private life. Obviously, when your husband is John Gotti and your daughter is Victoria Gotti the Younger and your son is John A. Jr. Gotti, it's very difficult to have a private life. Well, over the last 11 or 12 years or so, she has suffered a series of strokes. And the strokes have affected her speech. And they really, uh, after, after her speech was altered by these strokes, she was even less likely to want to do broadcast interviews. But it was only because of the depths of our relationship and because we go back such a long way that she agreed to do this interview that you're about to hear. Now, people may ask, well, Frank, you worked with Curtis Lewa for all those years. How did you get to become such good friends with uh, Victoria Gotti Sr.? And there's not an easy answer to that. It, like most relationships, the relationship built over time. But it began in 2005 when I covered all, I think, eight weeks of her son's trial. Her son was on trial for a whole bunch of very serious crimes, including the kidnapping and assault of Curtis Sliwa. And when you run into people every single day for eight weeks, you kind of get to know one another and you end up in the cafeteria at the same time. You end up joking around about the same things. And in the course of that trial, we got to know each other a bit and she would hear the commentary that I would offer on the radio and I think came to view me as kind of an honest broker when it came to covering her son's trial. And we got to know one another pretty well in the course of uh, that trial. Now, add to that, three more trials each week's long over the course of the next four years, and uh, you get to know one another very well. I'm proud to call uh, Victoria Gotti Sr. a friend. I mean, it would have been very easy for her to hold my relationship with Curtis against me and not want to talk to me and not want to do anything with me, but we got to know one another very well, and uh, we've shared a lot of uh, intimate moments with one another over the years, and uh, I think she's a very tough person, a very smart woman, and someone that uh, my life has been enriched by knowing. So people can think what they want about her husband. People can think what they want about her son. But uh, when it comes to toughness, when it comes to stick to when it comes to perseverance, this is someone who has not had an easy life ever. And uh, she has handled a lot of the difficulties that have been thrown her way with a lot of grace. And uh, I am still in touch with her, and we still, I think, have a great relationship. I haven't seen her in far too long. And in fact, I'm probably overdue for a trip to Howard Beach to see how she's doing. But what she's been through with her son, her other son, who is unfortunately no longer with us, her grandson, her husband, that's the kind of thing that nobody should ever have to endure. And uh, people could say whatever they want about the criminals that she's been married to or related to, but uh, there's never been a hint of criminality from Victoria Gotti Sr. So this interview took place in 2018, right after the film Gotti came out. Gotti is with John Travolta playing her husband, John Gotti Sr., and John Travolta's real-life wife, Kelly Preston, playing her. So in the context of this interview, we do talk about some other issues, but we kind of began by talking about what it was like seeing Kelly Preston play her on screen and what it was like seeing John Travolta play her husband. Listen to my interview with Victoria Gotti Sr. from 2018. 
so, I, Mrs. Gotti, I can't imagine um, wh- you what it's like to have a movie made about the most intimate details of my life. Uh, in the, your case, you've seen it happen multiple times. Uh, there's been all sorts of movies made about your family, um, but the one that was in theaters that that's in theaters now, Gotti, stars John Travolta as your husband, Kelly Preston as you. Uh, you saw it a couple of days ago. What'd you think of the picture frank it was surreal as i sat there i have to be honest i loved it i enjoyed it i love kelly and john they're wonderful people but i went through three hankies you you were it was very emotional for you to watch this oh my god forget it forget it i just sat there and cried now, uh, if people haven't seen the movie yet, uh, this deals with uh, heartbreaking incident after heartbreaking incident. It deals with uh, your husband's death. It deals with your son's trial. It deals with uh, the the death of your other son. Um, you're portrayed in the film, um, I, I, you know, as being very emotional, as you might imagine, when uh, when your son Frankie was 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 killed. Um, was it based on what you've seen in the film and obviously it's tough to condense 40 years into 100 minutes but based on what's depicted in the film was it pretty accurate it was the closest one yet there have been several films about johnny but this was the closest and you know i went through a period in my life i've had several breakdowns emotionally you know you're never over it yeah, no, I, I can I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, uh, you, you know, there's so much um, in the film involving your relationship with your husband, which, uh, you know, clearly was a very special one uh, to both of you. And that has been studied by the public for many, many years. Um, you're played by Kelly Preston. Uh, how do you, you know, you're a tough person to emulate because you are uh, quite an original. How do you think she did playing you? I'm also a little crazy, I've been told. But <laughs> so have I. <laughs> you know, I think she did a wonderful job. She's a beautiful person, as I said. You know, but I don't know. You know, it was just very strange to sit there and watch somebody emulating you on screen. Yeah. It's a very, very strange feeling. Um, so- but I think they did a wonderful job. Um, so your husband, uh, obviously very well known for being handsome and for being uh, very, very well dressed. Uh, Frank, he was beyond handsome. He was a like a Greek god. There'll never be another guy as good looking as him, I can tell you. The women were shameless. They used to follow him from club to club to club and hand him his, their phone numbers right in front of me. Wow. I, oh, yeah. In restaurants, they would walk over to him. They would wait outside for him. One even used to have like a relay system, used to call from club to club to see if he was there. So, you know, he used to tell me, Butch, if I fooled around half of what the media claims I do, he says I need to dump that one. But uh, yeah, I clearly, you know, that's something that gets asked uh, quite a bit uh, is, um, you know, you're both in one, one of your son's trials. It came out that, oh, you know, Frank, listen to me. The man 
came home to me at night. He slept in my bed. You know, he didn't go home to anybody else. Okay, and Mrs. Gotti, again, we're going to do a special uh, podcast, uh, but so, but just keep in mind, for the next f- few minutes, we're st- still on the radio. So, you know, just for the for the radio edition of this, uh, this are you radio. bleeping me? <laughs> I did, I did in that instance. So, just if you can, just for my sake, uh, yes, be, I'll try. be careful, be careful. <laughs> I'll uh, try, Frank. So. Tell me how you think John Travolta did playing your husband. I think he did very well, but if I had to decide between the two, John Travolta and Armand DeSanti, I don't know if I could, because they both did outstanding jobs. Well, yeah, I mean, and it was really, he, you lent some of your husband's clothing to John Travolta, That's his actual clothes he's wearing yes, in the film. Yes, yes, right? I did. Um, now, uh, obviously, and I'm sorry to bring up such an emotional subject uh, again, but uh, so much of the dramatic um, elements of the film involve your son uh, Frankie's tragic passing in this, you know, this this motor incident. Um, I did an interview yesterday in which I was talking about the film, and the interviewer. And there's a lot of misconceptions well, so regarding clear, that. Clear it up for me, everyone. First of all. Nobody ever came to my door and apologized. It never happened. When I confronted this man, and it was an accident, I know that now, it was an accident. When I confronted him, he said to me, your son had no effing business on the bike. And that's when I hit him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I see. So he, after he killed your son accidentally, yes. he came to your door and said your son he had no blanket. He didn't come to my door. I went to his mm. because I had passed by in my car and saw him on the neighbor's corner drinking beer and partying. So when he spotted me, he got up and walked over. Wow. And we had a confrontation. It was in front of the whole neighborhood, so anybody can confirm that. So this bull crap that he, you know, he came and apologized. Poor guy. Never happens. It never happens. His car with my son's blood on it was sitting in the driveway of his house for months. Wow. Until it drove me absolutely crazy, and I spray-painted it. Wow. Uh, now, a, mo- a lot of people believe, including this interviewer in this interview that I did yesterday, that your son, uh, excuse me, that your husband, who we now know, you know, was the head of the Gambino crime family, that he had, you know, this neighbor killed. Do you? That's bullcrap. That I would say the word, but you won't allow it. Thanks. First of all, I don't know. I honestly do not know what happened. You know. 
They say that my husband did. He never discussed the thing. He was the one that tried to convince me, Butch, this was an accident. This was an accident. Nobody set out to kill your son. But nobody would tell me what had happened. For weeks, I didn't know why my son was dead, how it happened. Nobody would tell me. Uh, I, I, no, I can't imagine. what. So I was like cracking up. You know, I, I would... Go out of the house at night and look for him. Uh, I, I again, I, I think any mother that was in your position, it, you know, you can only imagine what that's like uh, for, for a parent. Um, I, I do want to ask you, you know, there was um, also a uh, a documentary on A and E uh, last weekend uh, that your son was also featured in. Uh, your daughter Angel, who's uh, terrific, she was featured in it. What did you did you have a chance to watch the documentary? I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I was so proud of my son. I'm so proud of him now. Uh, and, you know, you, you, one of the things that surprised some people that saw the film is that, you know, everybody knows that your husband was very anti-government, very critical of the federal government and, and law enforcement authorities. But um, your son... Forget about him. I'm the bandit. <laughs> but your son, John, um, you guys sent him to military school, New York Military Academy, where Donald Trump went also... Um, why would he, your husband, consent to sending your your son to New York uh, to New York Military Academy when he was so distrustful of so many government institutions? Well, we were very worried about him on the street, and we felt that he needed that discipline. Yeah, and and, and I, it was it was the right thing to do because I fear he would have gotten in more mischief on the street. Yeah, no, and uh, it hurt, you know, to send him away, but it was it was the right thing to do. Um, tell me, uh, and and again, I appreciate the fact that you're going to be willing to stick around with us for a few more minutes uh, after the, we go off radio, and we'll we'll do a bit of a, a podcast, and then you Frank, can... we might get married today. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, though, tell me about um, and this is depicted in the film a bit. But um, in the last minute or so that we have describe for our listeners um, how your husband was treated in prison. And are there any instances that you can relate to people that haven't followed your husband's story closely that particularly express how he was mistreated in prison? Frank, I could write a phone book, a telephone book on what went on, um, what went on. And I don't know how these people call themselves good, God-fearing people and sleep at night because they're animals. If an animal was treated the way my husband was treated, there would have been a public outcry throughout the world. And I can't even begin to tell you what went on. The man was dying with cancer. What the F more did they want? You know, they wanted the last ounce of blood out of him. They tried to bring him to his knees. They couldn't do it, so they tortured him. That's what went on. Tell me, why do you think the critics are panning this movie so much? Why do I think they're panning it? I think it has a lot to do with movie pass from what I hear. Oh. You know, what I'm reading online, there's something going on with them. Angel, my daughter knows what the story is. But you know what? 
if they were Harvard grads, if they were Rhodes Scholars, I would be worried. But I don't think any <laughs> one of them are too damn intelligent. So who cares? Uh, you know, one of the interviews uh, that I did yesterday, someone asked me about uh, you and your husband and, and how you met. Um, so uh, there's so much myth about your husband and about your relationship with him. How did the two of you meet? Initially? Frank, I went for a job. I applied for a job. I wanted to earn extra money. I was going to a bar in East New York. And when I got in the cab to go, because at the time I don't, I didn't drive, you know, the neighborhood was not very good. And I was tempted to turn back, but I didn't. I went ahead. I went in. And he was sitting in the bar in a booth with somebody else, with a with a man, an older man. And I was having trouble with a guy at the bar when I asked for, you know, the owner. This other guy was drunk. He put his arm up around me. And, you know, I didn't like that. I didn't like to be handled. So I just turned around, walked over to the nearest haven I could see, which was Johnny. And from there, history was made. So he was sort of your, your knight in shining armor, rescuing you from the villain. I think I rescued him. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how we started. And uh, the very, very first meeting was very, it was very strange. And I believe it was destined. I had gone to the Town Hill, a place called the Town Hill in Brooklyn with an older girlfriend, and across the bar, she poked me. She says, wow, she says, look at that guy. Isn't he good-looking? And it was Johnny standing there. And I looked over at him, and I thought, yeah, he's okay, you know. And just a year later then was when I met him, when I walked into the bar. So it was destined, and that was it. Well, and uh, the rest, obviously, is history. Now, um, I, I remember your daughter, Angel, um, told me that she had no idea that your husband was in the mafia until your son, Frank, died. And um, she never saw so many people at, at, you know, at a funeral in her life. Now, uh, obviously, you were pretty street smart even before you and, and John got together. Um, when did you know that? Frank, as I said, you know. When I met him, you know, the standard line in those years were, you know, if you ask the man, what what did you do, a knock-around guy, what, did, what do you do? He would say, oh, a little of this, a little of that. So you had to assume what a little of this and a little of that meant. But I didn't really know. People think that, oh, she, so she knew. Listen, my husband would come home at night. When he walked in the door, his food was on the table, his bath was ready, and his pajamas were laid out for him. I was his geisha. <laughs> he was my man, and I took care of him. And I didn't look at it as subservience. I looked at it as respect, because he warranted respect. And I didn't fully realize. I would read things in the paper, and I would say to him, Johnny, what the hell is this, you know? And he would say, oh, don't believe what you read in the paper. They're all full of crap. So I was in the dark. But at a certain point, I had a load of kids. It wasn't where you were going to walk out the door and say, okay, see you later. 
Right, exactly. So I did what I had to do. You know, you you love a man. If you can't change him, you can't change him, and that's it. I wasn't happy about hearing certain things, but it was more important to me to provide a roof over my he- over their heads and a stable environment. Now, and that's what I did. You you may have been a geisha most of the time, but I know how tough you can be. Uh, you know, I've seen it firsthand, and I have no doubt that your husband uh, was sometimes on the receiving end of that uh, toughness. Uh, I heard there's one incident in particular in which— uh, Well, Frank, I didn't sit there and let him lead me around by the hair or the nose. You know, I wasn't going to take any crap from anybody. I grew up scrapping in the streets of Long Island City, so no— Nobody was going to push me around. There was one incident in particular uh, that I'm going to ask you to relate, uh, just because there's been so much attention paid to your husband's clothing and his suits over the years. And um, he must have really ticked you off because you went to town on some of his suits one time, didn't you? I threw them in the hot tub. (laughs) What did he do for you to throw his... I ran out of the bathroom. He called me Mother F. Every name you could think of. I ran out of the bathroom, and he couldn't chase me because he was naked. <laughs> I ran down the stairs and out the door. So he yelled out the window, you bitch. And I put both my hands up with middle finger up. I screw you, Johnny. He says, I'm going to kill you. I said, go get 10 men in a hurry. <laughs> And he didn't catch up with me for the rest of the day. Oh, boy. We Uh, had our battles, but we loved as hard as we fought. There was one instance where, you know, you actually sent his furniture to his club, right? Oh, that was early on. That was the first couple of years. We were, like, very volatile in those years. He never realized that he unleashed the hurricane. And, with me. And, you know, he thought I was some docile little girl until he got to know me. Uh, yeah, I, I imagine uh, he got an education in a hurry. Well, he did. <laughs> uh, let, let me ask you, and this may also be a sensitive subject, uh, about a, an interview uh, that um, John A. Light, who was one of the leading rats Listen, in... Frank, let me interrupt. Please, Number one, okay. This is an animal that the government created, that the government backed. Nothing but diarrhea comes out of his stupid, unintelligent mouth. The thought that this freak would even have anything to do with either of my daughters is so laughable. They wouldn't go with him with somebody else's genitalia. Trust me when I tell you. Trust me. He's an animal. He's always been an animal. He beats up women. He abuses women. He's, he's, I don't even want to discuss it. But And to think that reporters will print this swill that comes out of his mouth so sickens me. I want to slam them. I want to slam them. The government knew he was a liar. This is their creation, their Frankenstein monster. They knew he was a liar. But they didn't bet on Judge Shira Shinland. Thank God for that woman. I love her to death. And the jurors. And the jurors. If not for that woman, that judge in that courtroom, they would have hung my son. They would have given him the death penalty. 
Um, you know, so it's very interesting to me that in this one uh, New York Post interview, he who he by the way named his book not a lights rules but guidance oh, rules. Of course, uh, because How else was he going to sell exactly? It? But he said street guys around the world don't give two f's about that BS that destroyed the mob. He said, "quote He meaning your husband was never a legit street guy." <laughs> And is all... that why? Is that why the government took him to trial and charged him with five murders and called him the number one boss in the country? Is that why they persecuted him? Yeah, I, I think the answer is clear. But oh, please! And these idiots that get up there and say that no, you can't leave the mob. Number one, you you claim my husband was a boss. He was the boss. What the boss says goes. My husband released my son. I know he did. I heard the words. I demanded he do it. Not that he was going to accommodate me. He thought it over, and as he got into his illness, he got very mellow. And it was several people that he said was going legit. Those were his words, going legit. So they're full of crap, all of them. They don't know what they're talking about, and they ought to watch their own perjurous, lying special agents that got up on the stands in my son's trial and lied and perjured themselves. Um, so, you know, going back to to your husband, you know, he certainly was tough, uh, and everyone acknowledges that, even his critics. Um, but, you know, he there was also a, a sensitive side to him, and I'm wondering if you can relate to the to the listeners. An incident where early in your marriage, uh, you were still, you were not the masterful cook you are now, you were still learning to cook, and you wanted to do the right thing in terms of making some great galamad. Tell us what happened. <laughs> oh, God. Frank, I was always being compared in those years to his mom, and his mom was a great lady, a very tough, strong lady. But she put up with a lot in her life, and she was a general, you know, in general, a good cook. So I had to constantly live up to his expectations of her. And he used to talk about she made this, she made that, she made the other thing. So one day I went to the store. I was going to surprise him. I bought the calamari, and I put it in the pot. I think I was pregnant at the time with one of my kids. I put it in the pot, cooked it, cooked it maybe two, three hours. He came home that night. And he said, but, you know, what are you making? I said, I'm making calamari. He went into the kitchen and he looked in the pot. He said, Holy sh! What do you got in that pot? I said, The calamon. He said, Didn't you clean them? I said, What do you mean clean them? I didn't know you had to. So all the ink was in the pot. Oh, boy. But he was so gracious about it, you know. All right. He says, Don't worry about it. Um, so your husband's been gone about 16 years now. Uh, Just about yeah, 16. B- before that, he was, you know, in prison. Um, but yet people are still making movies about him, making documentaries about him. They're still putting your family on the front page of the tabloids. Uh, they're still uh, writing about him all the time. We're talking about him on the radio. Frank, listen to me. They accuse him of fixing trials. Everything they accuse him of, they did in triplicate. In triplicate, they lied, they schemed. I couldn't even begin to tell you what went on. 
And when you go through watching these trials, you realize there is nobody that's getting a, a, a fair trial. I was recently in a conversation with a lawyer a couple of weeks ago that said something about El Chapo. And I said to him, listen, I don't know if you're representing him, but you better understand you can't win. So he asked why. I said, why? Because he's getting a John Gotti mm. special. Mm. That's why. But but let me ask you, though, why do you think um, that the media and the public are still so obsessed, whether they love him or whether they hate him? People are still so interested in your, your, your family and your husband in particular. Why, this many years after he's gone, is there still this media obsession about him? Frank, he was one of a kind. He was, and he was correct. You'll never see another person like him. He was a bad boy in a lot of ways, and he was not your conventional hero, but he was to us. Um, two questions that I get repeatedly. Uh, one is, you know, from let me read you this comment. I get a fair amount of criticism for trying to give the other side of uh, of what the federal government did to your son, which is the thing that I had the most uh, experience watching and always kind of being a, a gaudy defender, at least your your version of the gaudy family. Um, and one listener wrote on Facebook last week. Uh, objectively covering the mob is legitimate journalism. Uh, Jerry Capisi has been doing it with distinction for years. It has won awards for his reporting. Other reputed, uh, reputable journalists have also specialized in honest coverage, but sugarcoating La Cosa Nostra like, uh, uh, is being just a propagandist, consistently presenting the warm and fuzzy side of these uh, serial killers and drug dealers with only occasional and nonspecific allusions to the lives they destroyed is neither honest nor respectable. So, Frank, let me interrupt. Please, go ahead. Serial killers? Okay, let's talk about Gravano. Let's talk about A-Light. They are worse than Arthur Shawcross. You know who Arthur Shawcross was? The most prolific serial killer almost in history. These two are what the government released and unleashed on the public. They Nobody can afford to talk about yeah. what my husband was or anybody else was. So, I mean, uh, I think you're exactly right. And that's exactly my response is people will criticize me for giving the other side. And uh, their government? What do they think of their government? Clearly. No, that's the Duke of Earl up there in government. Yeah. You um, got one rancid piece of crap after another. I don't even want to go into it because uh, I get crazy. Uh, two final questions and then I'll, I'll let you go on with your Sunday. And I appreciate you being so generous with your time this morning. Um one is, I know you are not at all uh, fond of President Trump, and we'll we'll save that discussion about why. Okay, we're going to make this short, but I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not going to get into politics. He complained a couple of weeks ago about the uh, conversation about the lawyer and client should be right. privileged. Well, well, so, yeah. Okay, right. wait a minute. Why was the government allowed? Thank God for President Obama is all I can tell you, because he's the one that saved my son's life. Okay, he complained, Trump, about the violation of lawyer-client 
privilege, okay? They went into the visiting room in Raybrook when we were visiting my son and recorded the conversation and then played it at his trial. And they went under the guise of Patriot Act, which is a terrorist. So what? Welcome to reality, Mr. Lump. Well, so, but let me ask you about that. Even though you may disagree with Donald Trump's policies, when I see kind of what went on in some of the things the FBI w- is doing to go after him, you know, uh, I the Michael Cohen instances of raiding attorney-client uh, files, um, the, uh, the well, FBI... Well, I say welcome to reality. Well, so, but does part of you, even though you don't like him, have a little empathy because you've seen firsthand what... Very, very little, Frank, <laughs> and especially now with these children, what he's doing with them. I can't imagine what the people are going and the Mexican people, who the hell are you, you piece of crap, to knock them? They're good, hardworking people. According to you, they're rapists. Oh, please, let's not start you with know, Trump. Fair enough. I'll end I with... think he's a hypocrite, a spoiled brat. I'll, let me end with this. Um, you know, a lot of folks uh, read and with great concern, uh, not about your husband, John Gotti, not about your son, John Gotti, but about your grandson, John Gotti, who um, got into some trouble involving drugs. He's now... Um... Oh, he's my baby. Listen, tell me, Frank. tell me what, what's going on with he him. He had a football injury. And he was prescribed painkillers, opioids, and that was the start. That was the start. I don't, you know, make excuses that anybody led him. What happened, happened. But he got hooked on them. I had no idea. I don't think my son did either. And I don't think anybody else would have gotten eight years the way he did for selling opioids. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I I mean... That was more than harsh, and it it hurts me because I adore the kid. How is he doing? He's doing very well, thank goodness. He's fine. He doesn't complain. You know, he's taken his medicine like a man, and that's it. Um, let me ask you, I'll end finally with this, this same similar question that I asked your daughter uh, last week, which is there's a lot of people out there that admire John Gotti's style, his swagger, and they see how the people of Howard Beach and Ozone Park still celebrate him to this day. And they want to be like John Gotti and they might consider. No, no, no. Let, let me say anybody embarking on that had really better think twice because The film was not made to glorify any mob. The film should be a detriment to show you what happens when you embark on that lifestyle. My husband was good to a lot of people. Yeah, well, I I think that's uh, certainly sound advice. Mrs. Gotti, uh, I know this hasn't been been easy to talk about all these sensitive issues, and I appreciate you being so No, as I said, Frank, it's cathartic. You know, I don't get a chance to vent too often. (laughs) They're probably going to be downstairs ready to commit me. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime you want to chat, I'm here for you, and I look forward to seeing you soon. if I need bail money, I'm calling you. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. It would be my honor. Okay, honey, and Thank we're going to get together for dinner soon. I'll look forward to that. Uh, okay, sweetie, have a good day. 
Wasn't that interesting? Oh, listening back to it, I thought it was really interesting. Maybe you disagree, but I, I thought it was really such a fascinating perspective on someone who's had an eyewitness view to so many different instances of mafia history, of criminal history, and I don't think anybody can say that they've been in her shoes because you haven't. If you enjoyed it, Please share it. If you are sent this podcast from someone else, please subscribe to it. You could find The Racket Report on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. And if you want to do us a favor and give us a five-star review on iTunes, that will help other people discover this podcast. We'd certainly appreciate it. If you want to email me and give me your feedback on anything we covered, you can certainly do so at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.mo. O-R-A-N-O at wabcradio.com. Until the next time we meet in cyberspace, I'll see you on the radio.